Hi, you're listening to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively brings insights from the Indian space activities ecosystem. I'm your host Narayan, the co-founder of India's first space-focused think tank, Spaceport Sarabhai. Guests on the New Space India podcast help you understand space activities related macro and micro trends within India in all aspects including space history, local industry, space science, technology evolution, law and policy, art and more. The New Space India podcast is supported by Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing businesses and people with collaborative virtual environments to enable sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions supports startups, small and medium scale enterprises and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellites. Hi and welcome to this interesting episode of the New Space India podcast where we are going to be discussing the Indian space policy of 2023 that was just recently released to the public domain after the cabinet approved it last week. Today I have here uh, who is part of Takshashila and has been in the landscape of the space policy domain for a while and Takshashila had done a fantastic job of putting together a draft space bill and how it would look like i'm sure that a lot of this has been the current policy document is also influenced in part by that as well aditya thank you so much for taking the time in speaking with me and i would love to go through a little bit about what is the spirit in which this space policy document has been released and what could be the future of all of this hey narayan thanks for inviting me to your awesome podcast yeah looking forward to this conversation so i think let's start with the document in itself the document itself starts with what is the definitions of what does really authorization mean or what does the indian orbital resource mean or what is a non governmental entity and so on so those are i think quite quite clear but it's also interesting that they define for example what is space activity for the first time in the country or what a space object means for the first time in the country yeah so firstly i'll just say that we i we both have our reservations about this document but in the broader perspective i couldn't have imagined this existing 10 years back and so we have obviously come some way that such a document can exist and government can make such sweeping pronouncements about opening up this this area to to the private sector and yes i absolutely welcome the concision of this document it's only 11 pages long and like you said the first four pages are table of contents definitions abbreviations and the definitions are clear and they're human readable and so is most of the text so that's really great to uh, see in the first place and uh, i'm not sure that there are any definitions that have been left out so i think there's a lot of clarity within the text there's i don't think at this point i don't see many ambiguities though i'm sure that as this is implemented in the future we will come across things that we didn't anticipate at first brush yeah and one of the interesting notes that i take here is number 11 which is the space activity itself as i starkly remember from the initial draft that was published as the draft space bill i think in 2017 or so there they had mentioned space activity to also include almost space application or use of space on the ground for example there was also a clause there where they said that you need to get a license for all kind of space activities and then there's some lack of clarity saying that okay now if you start using gps does then ola and uber also need needs to again get a license 
<laughs> yeah, exactly right. So even if you were like doing some or a preliminary R and D research according to that old bill, you might have to do a whole bunch of licensing, right? It made no sense. There was a lot of ambiguity in that. I think this definition. Uh, so long, I think it, it's a major step forward because when eventually, hopefully, we have a revised space activities bill, and hopefully that also comes out this year, this thing will be very clear: what exactly are space activities and how they should be defined, and who has to go and apply for licenses. So I think this is refreshing to see that they have made it very clear as to you know what really this space activity and they've made it very clear that people who are doing applications can go on with their life without having to be bothered so much so long as the resolution limits of imagery is taken into account. I don't see any red flags over there. In fact, one thing I'm pleasantly surprised by through the document is I don't see any obvious poison pills or something that can turn into a major stumbling block. When you go through the preamble itself, it's interesting that they mentioned that the government of India has opened the doors for the non-governmental entities to participate in the space domain reforms are unleashed in 2020. It's an interesting way of putting it because private sector has been a partner to ISRO for a long time, for 50 years at least. But the way that they mentioned that reforms are unleashing in 2020, and this is a policy that will have more and more private companies doing space. It's interesting that the government sees it in this way for me as well. Yeah, I think that some of this is obviously it's politics, right? So governments want to trumpet their own achievement. The other point is, I think the way that the positive spin that we can put on it is that they do see this as a major break and they do see this as a point where, you know, Indian's private space activity actually uh, increases sharply. That's, of course, a lot of that will depend on what the government does henceforth after this policy. Yeah, so there is this part of the preamble vision and strategy is very important at the end because that is what it sets the tone for everyone to follow. So when it comes to the preamble, it's quite clear that the preamble is to enable the private sector to be a part of the space sector and to have its own voice and to be able to conduct activities independently. But as far as the vision is concerned, they say to augment space capabilities, enable, encourage and develop flourishing commercial space presence of space and then using space as a driver for technology development and so on. And then briefly, they also mention uh, it is for the socioeconomic development and security protection of environment and lives and so on, and peaceful uses of outer space. So it's an overarching vision, yes. Do you think anything else could have been added here or is this sufficiently reasonable? Uh, No, I actually like it a lot. The way we define, uh, we talk about space power and Takshashila typically as a component of comprehensive national power and talk about space power as the ability to leverage space-related activities, not space activities, space-related activities, which includes downstream things. So it's the ability to leverage space-related activities to wield influence in international politics and also pursue national development goals. So in, in that sense, I think this is another way of restating that. So I'm actually quite happy with the vision. Yeah, the one place that I see which is interesting to debate about is the word peaceful, because pursuing peaceful exploration of outer space, the definition of defense space and militarization of space, all of this is engulfing a lot of the space activities of other countries. 
So now I'm wondering if the word peaceful might have might have a lot of connotations and how it will be implied and taken into account and the definition of that. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I, I wouldn't worry about that too much. I don't think it in any way constrains India's options because the way this is fairly consistent with the Outer Space Treaty of 1967. And typically the way... Uh, Peaceful has been defined essentially as is, 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 is non-aggressive and we're talking here about exploration of space. So, for example, certain types of military assets in orbit that might have offensive capabilities would not necessarily fall under the category of space exploration. And as far as peaceful exploration of space is concerned, so long as they're not offensive tools, say going to the moon or going to asteroids, uh, they're fine, right? So, for example, under the Outer Space Treaty, you can still have, you're perfectly, it's perfectly legal to have uh, three satellites, obviously, but also, for example, to actually weaponize space. So long as you don't use weapons of mass destruction, you're fine. I think there, there's enough leeway there. I think it's more bromide than anything else. It would be very unusual if a state said it wants to pursue non-peaceful exploration of outer space. Yeah, and coming to Section 3, which is the strategy in itself, I think this sentence that really stands out to me here is that uh, that they mention explicitly that Indian consumers of space technology or services, whether from public or private sectors, shall be free to directly procure them from any source, whether private or public. That is, I think, one of the hallmarks of this document when it's in terms of setting the stage to opening up demand. Hi, sorry, Naran, I lost your la- very last moment, your last sentence. No, I said that basically that this, the strategy, the section in the strategy, they have a sentence here that says, the for me, the hallmark of that is that, or this document is that they explicitly mention that Indian consumers of space technology or services, whether from public or private sectors, shall be free to directly procure them from any source, whether private or public. This is in definition opening up demand, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is this is the way that you are going to eventually have to promote demand. Obviously, Narayan, as you point out so correctly, have been pointing out for years, the space sector is different and ultimately the government is going to have to be the anchor customer. But it's great to know that companies can basically look forward to eventually having a wide range of private customers and that private customers are free to get those services. And they're also free to avail of some of those services from outside India, because I think that's, we do talk about uh, India's space sector as being part of Atmanirbhar Bharat and all that, but that doesn't preclude trade and and private sector cooperation across boundaries. That's absolutely essential for India. I think just to look at what this really means for the private sector, for me, I think the way forward should be the users who are in the government, for example, space is all about how do you create demand for the industry to thrive at the end, right? So the way that many countries have created demand for the private sector to exist is for the government to become an anchor customer. There is no example of any part of the world where government is not an anchor customer for new technologies for, you know, to industry to not thrive. So maybe you can talk about direct-to-home television, which is the only like business to consumer service that exists where maybe governments are not really directly in charge of being anchor customers. But beyond that, almost anything and everything in space has government as an anchor customer. And for me, this really means that if, let's say, the Ministry of Agriculture or the fisheries or people who are in the National Highway Authority or any of these government ministries that are looking at 
creating any sort of productive use of space for them, for their efficiencies to go up, for their productiveness to go up, for them to streamline tax collection or whatever be the use case, right? That they now can start looking at employing the space, the private sector to to then create those services that they can use and, and expand the use of space in their department. So that's that would be my wish of how this would translate into actual from a strategy to a, a goal. Yeah, that that's going to be the challenge. And I think that's going to require ultimately more iterations of this policy as well as ultimately, I think, there's no getting around having a space activities bill. One thing I'm curious about in this section, Narayan, is what do you think about all these bits about encouraging research and development, promoting startups, promoting innovation, space-related education? How do you think the government can come up with a strategy to achieve these goals? I think for me, there are two ways in which you could look at it. One is if you break down what ISRO imports today, there's also parliamentary committee reports on this. And if you take a spacecraft, an advanced spacecraft like Mangalyaan or so on, you can see that almost 60% of that is simply imported components that are then assembled in India. So specifically on R&D in the space sector, what we should be looking at is finding key technologies that we are importing. I'll give you an example. For example, India does not have a solar cells manufacturer who is local and can do space-grade solar cells, right? We don't have the technology for it. We don't have the foundation for it to a large extent. So we didn't have that for batteries as well, but ISRO has solved that by creating its own line of lithium-ion batteries and so on. But we don't have that for many other sectors, right? So we don't have, for example, an alternative for imaging sensors. For many things, we don't have alternatives that are local, right? So especially when it comes to this R&D bit, what we should really be thinking about is identifying which are the more strategic areas of R&D where it, it's for the long term of the country, for dual use, for space and defense and many other overlapping interests. There should be a list that we can compile that is also that can use all the things that we import, for example, for the space domain and then systematically come up with an approach saying that, over the next 10 or 15 years, we're going to indigenize all of these things and we're going to have players locally building it and then prioritize funding it uh, right from STEM groups or even labs in places like SE or, or so on to encourage that development locally, right? So that should be the way I look at translating uh, this when it comes to the R&D focus, all of this. And then on the larger side, it could also be benchmarking either technologies or adversaries and their capabilities. So technologies as in if we know that ISRO has a list of its own and it has a roadmap of its own for space transportation, for satellite technology, for interplanetary missions and so on. So they have an internal roadmap on them developing the reusable launch vehicle or them going to Venus or other places of that nature, right? But then we don't have technology roadmap for the country when it comes to what the private sector then needs to achieve is the wish that private sector will be able to deliver rapid launch capability in terms of being able to deploy 100 satellites within three months time in Leo for a service to be then be established. So that kind of vision behind what needs to be achieved in terms of technology outside of ISRO is not present and which needs to be established in one form. Or it could be that Oh, we don't know that, but let's use benchmark our adversary and lo let's look at 
let's say what China is doing and how many assets they have. For example, China today has about 20 times the number of operational satellites that India does. So if you even if you adjust that to GDP terms, you're still talking about a number that is very big to to what we have today. So then if that is the strategy, do we then have a, a strategy towards getting to on parity with them? And that's the goal that the private sector then needs to help achieve and so on. So for me, these are some of the thoughts on how I'm not really sure if somebody in the government or anybody in the system is thinking in this direction. But I'm hoping that this is the thought process that will then you know, be this particular document will be translated to. I'm not sure. I don't know how you think about it, but these were, these are ways that at least I think about it. Yeah. Hi. I agree. I don't have any disagreements with what you said. I just think that I would have expected more of the, that laid out or in, in the document itself. I, mean, I think that that's a sort of missed opportunity in the document. While it's very expansive and lays out a broad vision, I think we would have preferred more details. 11 pages is wonderful, but if you had 15 pages and a few more details, I think it, it would have been even better. Yeah, it could be even that who is setting this roadmap, right? Because if InSpace is uh, both a regulator and a promoter, as a part of its promotion, does it also goals that then need to be achieved over time? I don't think so. For example, that has has been a part of that, right? So it does say, jumping the gun here from what is non-governmental entities to InSpace, they mention what are the yeah. things that InSpace will be responsible. It's a single window agency for providing author- authorizations and promote three clusters and all of these they do mention. But then they also mention defining frameworks for developing space industry based on global benchmarks and all of this stuff. But it's also interesting to see who is responsible for setting certain targets to be achieved. Or do we have that institution? Who is that institution? Is that in space? Is it ISRO? Is it Department of Space? Is it the Prime Minister's office? That is some a, a missed opportunity for me as well. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think, yeah, more of those details would have been welcome. From what you see here, even with respect to the non-governmental entities that are mentioned, it's again quite interesting because for a long time, satellite communication was done mostly from or with government and with TRAC and ISRO and so on. So now it's interesting that they do mention that non-governmental entities will be allowed to operate their own ground segment. They'll be allowed to operate their own NGSOs, the satellite communication satellites or so on for to provide the services in there so they'll it's also mentioned about remote sensing and these things it the list is quite comprehensive when it comes to identifying what sort of areas non-governmental entities uh, uh, will work towards i don't think there is a shoddy job done with respect to that and it's very inclusive and it's very expansive i'm happy to see also that they've mentioned space situational awareness they've even mentioned asteroid resources uh, so that's i think this has been it's quite nice to see that they've taken a very broad view when it comes to what are ngs yeah no absolutely and the inclusion of asteroid resources is is interesting i think they're perhaps taking that cue from the U.S. national space policy of 2020. It's also interesting that, of course, they don't include the moon because India is a signatory to the moon treaty. And you could probably still extract resources from the moon. It's, there's a legal debate about that. 
And I guess they just want to avoid that. Do you see any other sector that's or anything that's potentially left out? Because I've gone through these bullet points a number of times and I don't know what, I can't think of a single company that exists right now that would not, would be left out of this expansive definition. Can you? I don't think so as well. The only thing that I don't see a specific mention of is GNSS or Navic within the NGE framework. Today, there is also a slight movement towards private companies also establishing their own GNSS constellations, for example, in the US, or talking about GNSS resources on the ground when it comes to chips and applications and so on. That is the only bit that I don't really see specifically mentioned, but I don't think that that's an area there. It's not for private participation and so on. I think in point seven, sorry, they, they say application for enhancing and augmenting satellite navigation. So I'm guessing something like an SBAS system or something, or yeah, maybe just Navic chips. I, I think that's included. Yeah. 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 Navic in that framework is definitely then included because of this definition here for sure. But there, there are a couple of companies around the world that are looking at private GS, GNSS navigation systems. But I think that's a little bit too far-fetched at this time for a country like us. Hey, hey, we should come up with a revised space policy, perhaps every five years, but certainly every decade. This is not necessarily, <laughs> it should not exclude such possibilities in a decade from now. Yeah. So when we go to the section five, they're talking about the waters in space, firstly. And then it's interesting, obviously, that they mention that's a single window agency and they mention a list of things that they are then going to be authorizing or be in charge of or so on. But for me, I think what would be very interesting here is that uh, they specifically mention maybe all government departments which have any concern in space to also go to in space to then have anything resolved when it comes to private sector participation. I don't know if that had to be mentioned explicitly or not. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm, that's something we'll, I think we'll have to think about. Yeah, no, because I think that um, having gone through some of the old SATCOM policy that was released over the last 20 years or so, I know that even for the coordination for the SATCOM related services, there were something like 28 government departments of ministries that were involved in the clearance process. And there was then a single window process for all of them or so on. So their space obviously impinges on many different departments. And they do mention a few of them here, right? So they do mention the Ministry of Broadcasting, I think, and then Information and Broadcasting. And then they also mention DOT and the WPC here. And then there could be other government ministries that are involved in the process, ODE or HO and MEA, and all of these are all involved in one form or the other. But yeah, I don't know if that had to be explicitly mentioned, saying that any concerns that any other ministries have with respect to private participation, that in space becomes the window in which they also talk or engage with the private sector. Yeah, no, that. I think that would be helpful. But I think for that to happen, we would need in space an act to basically give a legal basis for in space, right? So if in space is supposed to be like try, at least there's a, a what, telecom act of 1997 that establishes it. We might have problems with that act, but at least it exists. It has that virtue. I, I don't even know today what is the legal basis for in space to exist. And if, if a, a policy can lay down some of the things it can do, but 
can is that enough for us to say no in space is going to be the single window and in space is going to override an objection from another ministry i don't know in space is ultimately connected to dos and so on so i think that you really need a law for this to happen yeah and i also think that there are some challenges even for in space right because number 7 in the in space sections they talk about ensuring a level playing field for the utilization of all facilities created using public expenditure by prioritizing their use among government entities and ngo right so that i think will be a very big challenge this is so interesting because any of the so I, i'm sure that they're very committed to this and right now in spaces had probably has it fairly easy with getting people basically allowing use of facilities and so on basically brokering that if this if hopefully india's private sector industry takes off a space industry takes off you are absolutely going to need procedures for this those procedures are going to have to be very transparent there's always going to be some brickbats thrown at you this is why again i say you need legal backing the other curious point is number 8 that comes after that which is it says enable establishment of specialized technical facilities by ngos within the premises of dos now i think this doesn't mean that all of them have to be set up within the premises of dos but it's like maybe it's easier if you establish within dos is that how you see it yeah i think this probably has been framed by taking into account the needs for launch vehicle companies especially that's the sense that i get because specialized technical facilities from ngs specifically probably mean launch pads that are private sector owned which are in char for example or mission control centers that are built by private launch companies that are again inside the shar campus which is controlled by the dos so i think point number 8 which is enable establishment of specialized technical facilities by ngs within the premises of dos probably specifically targeted at launch companies yeah i think that's that's the most likely explanation for that but once again i think uh, these are the sort of things we'd welcome clarifications on in the coming weeks and months and the other thing that i'm really glad they they've included itu filings because this is something that there's been a lot of confusion about and this goes back to the space activities bill and so on again there's a lot of work over here a lot is riding on in space right in space is supposed to do everything uh it's not just supposed to facilitate the private sector is also supposed to quote judicially balance the interests of government entities and ngos in filing in itu filings for orbital resources how does in space which is ultimately also part of government judicially balance those interests uh, it might make sense to have different entities do this in the future yeah or there is a member of pc or dot sitting in space who is acting as a coordinator between the two organizations in one form or the other i think there's a lot of it in spirit but in process and in reality how this translate will be very interesting to see in the coming days yeah so there's going to have to be some at least to my understanding there will have i don't see how this can function without some tri involvement that is telecom regulatory authority of india in involvement with in space but yeah how will that work and when tri is established by law and these guys aren't i don't know I, the other thing is just because i'm thinking about tri what happens when there's disputes who's responsible for managing disputes who's a tribunal for example there's nothing of that sort right oh yeah that can only be a discussion in the way forward especially if a bill then needs to be introduced to provide that authority to our organization at the end it's also interesting that number 13 they talk about authorizing the use of space object for 
communication and broadcasting services to or from Indian territory. It, I guess this has an immediate implication for companies like OneWeb who plan to start providing their services in July or August this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's I think that's what it's intended for. And there are some other points that I think we expected by technologies for, for to the private sector issue guidelines for safety and security. Number eight point eighteen is also interesting because they thankfully do say prescribe guidelines to address liability aspects arising out of potential damage. And I think that this has to be addressed more substantially in space activities bill. But what I would have actually liked in a space policy over here is to hint at some potential solutions. What would the guidelines roughly for liability be? And would you, for example, have a liability fund? Or at least would you explore the possibility of a liability fund? Something like that would give a sense of the way the government is thinking about this. Right now, I, all I can say is at least they've thought about it, but I don't know what they're thinking about. Yeah, in fact, just to, again, move forward with this list, there are two things that I think would be interesting if they had included with in-space list of things. So one is specifically saying that in-space bill will be then presented in the parliament for them to become a true regulator with having authorization from the legislative foundation to be able to, to conduct business. That would have been, that would be very interesting. The second is really that one thing that I always see that is missing is really a timeline to taking decisions. It's never made very explicit. And that has a lot of effect on the private sector, right? Because if you make an application and it takes two years for you to get a response, then, you know, it's not very clear, right? You're losing a lot of money, you're losing a lot of time and ultimately opportunity window, right? So those are the two things that needs to then be embedded in one form or the other could have been embedded saying that even if it is in spirit saying that you know application for launch or registration of the satellite will take 90 days for us to respond it could be different timelines for different kind of activities but having an explicit timeline to saying this is the timeline in which we will we are going to respond and then also making it explicit that there's going to be a bill coming those are the two things i would say would have been very interesting to include that's true. I would have also liked uh, some clarity on where, whether InSpace, for example, would provide guidelines on, uh, this might sound strange, but things like cybersecurity for space systems, there are guidelines for these things. I don't see anything along those lines. And that's, while yes, those things can ultimately be part of a defense space strategy, I don't see the harm of their being included in this. Other countries have done so as well. Yeah, and again, when we then move on to the section on itself, Again, interesting to see that they do mention human spaceflight specifically. They mention about satellite data, dissemination of data in itself, uh, the kind of activities that they are going to take uh, into account when it comes to in-situ resource utilization or celestial prospecting and extraterrestrial habit habilitation and so on. So this is interesting stuff, but I don't see anything uh, out of the ordinary in that sense. When this is expected that these are the things that are that are going to be present. But I guess when they mention ISRO shall focus on R&D in advanced technology and newer systems, that's again a roadmap question, right? So obviously, as we've discussed, there's an internal roadmap on ISRO. But then how does that translate to every center 
will be very interesting to see as a part of this because a lot of the ISRO centers today are involved in routine production or realization of rockets and satellites. But then having an internal strategy on how these engineers who are on the production floor today will be moving into more and more research. That's again a question of goals and strategy documents that are written to be able to streamline that internally. So that obviously does not feature as a mention here on how that will be done. Uh, but I don't know if that would have been interesting to explicitly say as well. I, I think it, it, this document would have benefited from some hint at the roadmap of how ISRO would go about it. I have to say, firstly, we, we should be happy that ISRO has this, or at least the government has this broad vision of ISRO being this space agency focused on the really big, challenging, often dangerous tasks, interplanetary exploration, lunar probes, and so on. But I, I think... Uh, the goal is quite clear. In fact, another organization, similar organization, DRDO, we've been talking about something, doing something similar with that. Like the idea is that DRDO should become more like DARPA and should focus on really complex over the horizon capabilities rather than trying to develop a better anti-tank missile, which the private sector can do better. Uh, and I think that's the direction in which ISRO also has to go. The problem is both of these big government organizations have, like you said, all these specific centers, labs, establishments and which do all sorts of things they're involved in production they're involved in developing fairly mundane capabilities and how does the government go about reforming these are these capabilities handed to the private sector if so how does that happen these are there are huge questions to be asked this transition that it's rose to make is actually is a big one it's the most significant one really since its inception and the last but one section is the new space india one Again, New Space India is now, since it's a public sector undertaken, and it is mentioned explicitly that they're going to be responsible for commercializing space technologies and platforms through, created through public expenditure. And at the same time, when you come, when it comes to in space, they mention about getting access to public expenditure spent space technologies and platforms that are created using public expenditure will be made accessible to NGEs. So there is that inherent conflict between a public sector organization and also an NGE being mentioned in the same policy document saying both of them will be doing something when it comes to commercializing space. But for me, I think from a practical standpoint, maybe there's a world in which New Space India Limited is working on projects that are too complex for the private sector, which is still emerging and doesn't have the Ability to invest, let's say, a thousand crores or two thousand crores into a project when it comes to some of these massively big projects like big telecommunication satellites or so on. And there could be a sustained development of the industry where, as and when the NGEs ramp up their capability, the investments, the capacity, the things that then flow to them. But then for the massively big projects that are, that can be still done from a commercial standpoint, is where NSIL goes into the foray. Hey, yeah, I just want to speak to the point that you brought up about creating a level playing field, especially since we have this big public sector entity competing potentially with the private sector ones. Uh, to, me, to my mind, you know, what's interesting is that the document has mentions the term level playing field three times. Once is in the preamble, once is in the, in the strategy, and once when defining the role of in-space. And I think those are the three places where it needs to appear, that term needs to appear. And 
in all three places, the government says it aims to create a level playing field for the NGEs. I think that's encouraging. Uh, Having said that, once again, like I think we've been saying, our key reservation or our wish for, from this document would simply a little more detail, right? A policy document can afford to have a little more detail. And what we'd like is just a hint of how they would go about achieving this. I think that would be interesting. And maybe just addressing head on the fact that uh, there is this other public sector entity that is potentially a competitor to uh, the private sector companies. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a question of how this plays out over time. And the worst scenario is that they actually fight and have an infight, which is the worst scenario. But the best scenario is where, as I said, massively big projects that no private sector company will get either venture capital or banks funding them is where then NSIL steps in. And then as that ramps up, then NSIL pulls over to doing more and more complex things and easier Lower hanging fruits will be still be done by NGs. That's how I view it, view it in one form. That's the ideal scenario of, of this. And then the last bit in this is the role of the Department of Space. They mentioned and they see, say explicitly that they will oversee the distribution of responsibilities outlined in this policy and then become the nodal agency or the nodal department for the policy in itself and so on. So clarifying ambiguity and maintaining it in line with the UN and MEA and so on. So these are all the standard things that I see. I don't see anything um, explicitly so, but then the DOS is then just made as the coordinating agency between InSpace, ISRO and everybody, everyone else. It's interesting that they then take the primacy when it comes to the actual enforcing of the policy in itself. Yeah, if DOS is is to, as point three says, interpret and clarify any ambiguities, obviously DOS does hold a lot of power in this. And ultimately, this policy document cannot change this fundamental structure that we have now inherited. So there are some weird things about the way this works in India with InSpace being both a promoter and a regulator and so on. Uh, I think that ultimately, eventually we are going to require a separate sort of regulator, o- overarching decision maker who take, takes over a lot of these roles of, of the DOS or DOS is itself completely restructured. But I, you talked about international cooperation. I actually find that interesting. I'm not sure that I've seen anywhere else in a public document this degree of a commitment to this degree of close cooperation with the MEA. And I think that's really useful. A lot of my work is actually in foreign affairs connected to space and, and other such high-tech areas. And to my mind, one of the biggest challenges in India is precisely the lack of coordination, for example, between these, uh, between the government labs, government organizations that are involved in those high-tech areas and uh, as well as from the private sector and the people doing the diplomacy, conducting the diplomacy. In Between 2005 and 8, India and the US completed what's often called the Indo-US nuclear deal, which is really a set of agreements, laws, and so on. And one of the things that India had to do was really get the Department of Atomic Energy on board and really have an unprecedented level of close relation between the MEA officials going abroad and negotiating and the people at the Department of Atomic Energy, who obviously are quite understandably had some concerns about what was being negotiated. 
and and it would be great if same would happen with isro india cannot go it alone in space even with the great ambitions and so on that it has and it would be absolutely wonderful if we have that kind of coordination and to my mind it's great to see that in a document like this absolutely in fact one thing that is very interesting that is mentioned in this uh, document as the last point when it comes to the dos is that that the dos will create appropriate mechanisms to resolve any dispute arising out of space activity as per extent laws it's a very interesting mention which again is 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 a conflict that i see between now in space and us right because by mentioning that they will create any mechanism to resolve any dispute essentially they're saying that dos is an intermediate try like agency who will or tdsat or try like agency who is going to be involved in dispute resolution and it's a question of is that the right thing or in space as a regulator is then position to do this better or so on so what are your thoughts around us yeah see i actually don't that's a good point but i don't know whether it's more, if dos is more try or more like tdsat or anything because ultimately these things require very clear laws and charters to define their own existence and their own roles and without laws narayan I mean, we can't expect that from a space policy i think it's going to be that ambiguous right now it's going to leave us scratching our heads and it, our goal our job from here on people like you and me is to keep pestering these people and asking them for clarifications and hopefully getting them and hopefully also you know talking about our concerns and you know, suggesting ways forward so i think that's what we are going to end up doing over the next several months and this is we've had lesson at least i've had lesson 24 hours to process this document and i might feel differently about it in, in a month from now as we learn more and more about it and how a government plans to implement it uh but you know that's how it is with any such government document i have colleagues for example who have worked or looked at the national education policy which is 66 pages long and this is 11 pages long there's, a, there's always a lot to process in these documents aditya thank you so much for taking time in recording this very quick episode on the update on the indian space policy 2023 i'm sure that in the coming days we will have a lot of updates and a lot of buzz around developments that are based on this space policy release and so on let's see how things pan out let's hope for the best and any final thoughts from you my only thought is i can't wait now for a draft space activities bill to come out again and hopefully be introduced into parliament this year and that would be my single most optimistic prediction for 2023 and if it comes true uh narayan i'll buy you a drink <laughs> all right let's see let's let's hopefully things move forward so thank you again aditya and then i look forward to keeping in touch over this and i'm sure that everyone else in the community will have some of their own thoughts and then let's see how the community responds absolutely yeah thank you for listening in to this episode of the new space india podcast if you enjoyed this conversation please share this episode with anyone you believe will enjoy listening to it You'll be able to find the New Space India podcast in any of the podcasting platforms that you may be using including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube and others. Do subscribe to the podcast in case you want to receive new episodes automatically. I'm grateful if you're able to leave a rating for the podcast which will help others discover it. Thank you for listening in again and the next episode will be out in the next 2 weeks as usual.